Welcome to In the Making. I'm Selena, your host. Today, we're going to talk about how we relate to God through people, and in particular, through the lens of our family, origin, and culture. All of us have been impacted in some way by our relationships, and especially our family relationships. But family relationships can be hard and complicated. And today, as we talk about our stories and how God has used our families to shape us, we do want to acknowledge that that though we have gone through hard things, those of us sharing on the podcast aren't coming from severely abusive and absent families. So before we dive in deep, I do want to say that if you come from a family that is physically, sexually, or emotionally abused or neglected you, God and I join you in mourning. God designed family as a way to show his character, which is one of kindness, gentleness, patience, and love and to be a representation of the intimacy he experiences within the Trinity. So whether you are in a broken family or a healthy family, God invites us into his family where he is the good and better parent, sibling, uncle, aunt that we need. I pray that God meets you today as we discuss this topic and that if there is something you need to hear, you'll internalize it. And if there's something that would be harmful for you to hear, that God would help you to reject it. Today, I am thankful to have Sam, my coworker, friend, um, and somebody who has actually allowed me to be a part of his family. Fun fact is that he taught me how to ride a bike this summer in, in about an hour. Um, and then his wife yelled out, we are the best family. <laughs> and I feel like I'm included in the we are the best family part. Um, and uh, Rose Thompson, who um, I got to meet this summer through the Lenses Institute. Um, and Rose is just somebody, as soon as, you know, I, I met her in this online conference, um, I just saw she just has this thing about her where you just want to like get to know her more. Um, and so I'm glad for this opportunity. And um, the Lenses Institute is, I guess, like a side branch of um, crew, which is like American power to change. And um, they exist to equip the people of God to fight for oneness by influencing the way Christ Christian leaders see, understand and act in our ethically and culturally diverse world. Um, so welcome, Rose and Sam. Thank you. Thank you. So um, we are going to discuss families. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your family? Sam, why don't you start us off? Sure. Um, well, I guess you're a part of my family now. So I got to talk a little bit about you. Uh, no, well, I um, my background is Chinese. I was born in Hong Kong, um, but I feel like I have mixed roots. Um, third culture kid is the word that or the phrase that I've come to um used to describe myself a little bit. I basically spent my primary school years um, in in Richmond Hill, Ontario, in Canada, and uh, my high school years at a British school in Hong Kong, and then my university years in Montreal, Canada. And so I feel like in all of these different places, there's, there's a part of me that identified with that place and fit in, but there was also a part of me that really felt um, disconnected or alienated. Um, my, my family is from a Christian uh, background, and so that was very much a part of my life um, throughout. Um, yeah, and currently today, they, they, they live in Hong Kong, and so I don't see them a ton, uh, and we mostly keep in touch by FaceTime. And Rose, what's your family like? Um, I am a Jamaican-American, United Statesian. 
Um, my parents immigrated from Jamaica uh, when my mother was pregnant with me. I'm a surprise, yay. Um, and so they were leaving Jamaica with what they thought were three children, um, ended up with four. <laughs> so we grew up in the DC area of the US. Um, so have been bicultural. Uh, our home was very much a Jamaican home. It was very clear this is a Jamaican home. Um, and yet, you know, learning to navigate U.S. culture. Um, and then certainly growing up in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, mixing with a wide variety of cultures um, because of the nature of D.C. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, that, and that lends a lot to kind of learning to navigate different cultures. And as we talk about family, we're talking about culture as well, because family and culture are so just deeply interconnected. Like I grew up in a, um, I'm also a third culture kid. So I grew up in an Egyptian background family. And there's something to that in the way that my parents raised me, um, coming more from like an honor shame background. I actually did one of these like online tests that tell you like which worldview you come from. And apparently I'm like 60% yeah. honor shame um, and 40 uh, guilt innocence, which is like more the Canadian side of things, I guess. But I was, I'm also like, I born in England as yeah. well. And so um, I think there's like hints of Britishness in my family, even yeah. here and there. So is that, is that a Buzzfeed quiz? I know, uh, it, it wasn't. I have yeah. no idea. Somebody sent it to me. You know, one of those <laughs> random yeah. things. Which, like, which, uh, which nationality are you? Which Disney film are you? <laughs> so true. <laughs> I think of like the Instagram ones where you like it, it takes a scan of your face and tells <laughs> yeah. you like what nationality are you, but then it ends up being like an animal or something. I don't know if you guys yeah. have seen it. Five percent accurate. <laughs> No, I think this one was a bit more accurate than that. I believe it. I believe it. I, I have seen, uh, even though I didn't feel like in my upbringing, very Egyptian. Um, yeah. I felt like my parents were very Egyptian. But it's like now looking back and being a little bit older that I'm like, oh, like I can see where this has shaped me or just like the way that I automatically think yeah, um, yeah. tends to lean more with honor, shame than maybe with guilt and innocence. And so, but it, mm. it, it I don't know, it's not one of those natural things yeah. that you kind of notice the thing. Yeah. As, as, uh, as, as we were just introducing ourselves, it struck me how uh, convoluted all of these um, shaping forces are like our, our families, ethnic background, our cultural backgrounds, the, the place, like the geography that we grew up in, what was the culture like around there, the the era or the decade we grew up in, like, and we're so shaped by all these things. And it's hard sometimes to pinpoint which has had the greatest influence in our lives. And in all of them, there's like, there there's positive and negative things too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Until you hear your mama's voice speaking when you're about to do something, then you know <laughs> it's the family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And and families, they have like they have such a deep deep impact on us. And um it's not always something that like you said that we notice straight away, but I think when we reflect on it, we can see those things. So Sam, Sam you kind of mentioned like the positive and negatives um mm -hmm. that you that you recognize 
exists when it comes to things shaping us? What would you say are the positive and negative things or that you have seen from your upbringing and from your family's influence on your life? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I don't, I think, I, I think until very recently, I wouldn't have had an answer to both positive and negative impact because um, I, I think it was just something I didn't think about a ton specifically spend time sitting with and asking the right questions and so up, up until recently my impression of my upbringing and my family was really positive um, I can think of so many instances where um, my parents taught me the value of working hard um, integrity following through in your word uh, my my dad's um, uh, Chinese name actually has the meaning of perfection or completion and my chinese name actually has uh has like a excellence in scholarship um like scholarship excellence as the meaning and so from my from a young age my father was always uh portrayed as kind of like someone to emulate he was a really hardworking guy um i could think of a story where we were immigrants from hong kong to to canada and my father spoke cantonese and he saw on, on the news a Caucasian man who was doing business in China and the, and the man was speaking in fluent Mandarin. And my, my dad thought to himself, wow, how's this guy who's not from a Chinese background speaking fluent Mandarin um, when I don't know anything? And so he made it a point to work hard at it and he self-taught himself Mandarin. That was like an example that I can think of where hard work and persistence um, Will, will actually produce excellence. Um, and so that that's one way. Maybe another positive is uh, loving Jesus first. Uh, I know that this is not common for um, maybe Asian background uh, families, but my parents never actually had kind of like a, uh, a direction in, in terms of vocation or career that they wanted me to go. They were very much from, the, from day one whatever it is that you want to do, as long as you love and honor Jesus, then go do it. Um, and I didn't really know what that meant practically at the time. Maybe when I was younger, I wish they would have said something more concrete. But as I think back, that was that was tremendously freeing. That kind of off offhandedness or loose handedness was actually really freeing. Um, and so those were maybe two positive ways uh, I feel like I've been impacted. What about some of the negative ways? I So here's maybe two. The first is, um, the first is maybe a flip of the hardworking. Um, I think uh, one negative way is that a hardworking mentality, the negative side can often look like uh, a taskmaster or, or just someone who just focuses on things in a very clinical or very ca like a very uh, robotic or even emotionless approach. Uh, what is it that needs to be done? What's the problem? What's our solution? What can we do? Stop wallowing in, in self-pity. Stop feeling bad for yourself. What are you going to do about it? Pull yourself together. Um, and I, I can see how that served me in some ways, but it's also made it hard as I've grown older, as I've deepened relationships with with friends, with my, my wife now, with my kids, how exploring the emotional side has actually been hard. Um, so that's maybe the flip side of that positive. Um, and then related to that is uh, maybe I feel like I don't have much of a emotional intelligence quotient. Um, 
I definitely wouldn't have identified that until recently. Uh, I I grew up my emotional if you if you could chart it is very is like a flat line. My highs don't get high, my lows don't get low. Super calm. Um, I've had people angry at me because they thought I'd be I should be more angry about something um, than I was. But I think the reality is growing up in a household where where it was often about doing. I didn't really have a language or a lens to think through how was how how was I feeling inside, and I can think of even actually in high school a number of times when I I had like relational issues, relationship issues, or heartache issues, and and I and I would want to talk about it with my family, and uh, I can remember feeling that it was downplayed at the time, and so I think over time I've kind of internalized that these are just things that you need to deal with on your own or or brush to the side and really just put your nose to the grindstone and, and power through it. What you kind of mentioned that you've kind of realized this recently, what, what helped you come to that recognition of these like both positive and negative things? I did this program and uh, there were a bunch of coaches and counselors uh, as part of this development program called LEAF. Uh, but one of the terms that they used was old self versus new self. And it talks about how like our old selves are actually uh, designed to survive to protect ourselves. What does it look like to survive in our world, in the world that you grew up in? Um, And I think for me, my old self, working hard or powering through or brushing emotions aside was the way that I actually found escape from pain. You asked the question, how did I come to realize this? I think your old selves work for a while and then you get to points where they don't work anymore. You can't just power through it. And I think when you live life long enough, or if you have relationship deep enough, inevitably you're going to experience emotional hurt in in relationship uh, that you don't have the language for. And you kind of hit like a wall and you, you feel like your old self doesn't have the ability to actually deal with it. And so I think part of growing into the new self is acknowledging that there was, there is an issue there and that's an area to grow in. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Sam. That's true. I can't help but think, oh, like, where do I see that old self and new self? Mm -hmm. And what are the things that have helped me embrace that more? And yeah, where are the areas I still need a lot of work? It's, it's, It's hard to because it's often like so default and so intuitive to who you are or who you've become. And if you're good at it, it might even come across as some really positive traits. Like someone might look at me and be like, man, Sam is so even keeled or Selena is so great in this way. And that might be true, but what's what maybe is less seen is maybe there's an underlying current of like a way that being good at that is actually hurting you in other ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. It's courageous to be willing to go there, right? Especially if it's something that people are complimenting you on, you know, other than the person that, got angry because you didn't get angry, but <laughs> I can, I can see that being, you know, people like calm people, you know? And so I think it's, yeah, it's kind of cool that, yeah, it, it is, it just seems really courageous to be willing to dive deeper into that. Yeah. 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 It's something that's taken time. The funny thing is in that story where someone was angry at me for not being angry, I was actually furious. <laughs> I, was, I was really angry and uh, they came to me they're like why didn't you care more I was like I what do you mean like I was all over the place I was losing it 
<laughs> so funny. I could totally picture that, like furious <laughs> on the inside, but not on the outside. And sometimes that's me too. So, yeah. yeah. Rose, what about you as you think about your family and how growing up in your particular family has impacted you in both positive and negative ways? What are some of those things that you've come to realize? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, as I think about my family, uh, being a Jamaican family and um, growing up here in the U.S., I think one of the positive ways is uh, the sense of family, the value of family. Um, and it's funny, as we've gotten older, um, we've, there's, there really is this high value of your family. Um, and, you know, as my parents have gone through different stages and, um, had gotten sick, my mom passed away last year, but, you know, anytime my parents were in the hospital, like it was, you know, it was almost scary for the hospital staff, for our, for our sibling, myself and my siblings to come in because we just, you just didn't play. Like we took care of our parents, lock, stock and barrel, right? Like whatever needed to happen. And, even if we as siblings weren't necessarily close or we would not, we could go for weeks without talking to each other, but if something happened, it would be like drop everything, like the family's on, you know? And so this really intense sense of family, it's kind of funny considering some of the dysfunction that happened in our family, <laughs> but there's just something about this connection of, yeah, that family matters. And mm -hmm. and it probably came out of the fact that my parents were the first from their families to leave Jamaica. So we didn't have any other family around. Um, and while mm -hmm. we made friends with other families, it was us, right? It was our unit as a family. So um, that that had a strong impact. I think also of the hospitality, the, the mm -hmm. community, so part of Jamaican culture is very communal and and this sense of, you know, what's mine needs to be shared, has to be shared with those around me, whoever's in need. I mean, we always had and we grew up struggling, but whatever we had, we, if there was if people need someone needed a place to stay, especially people traveling from um, out of town and came in town, they were staying at our house, you know, and they were staying at our place. And um, whatever we had, my, my mother would say, you know, we'd make it stretch. <laughs> um, and so whatever the meal was, it would be stretched out. And, and I realized that like the, wherever I've gone, it's funny, even as I'm saying it now, I, I realize wherever I've gone, so I'm single, but I've always had in a spare bedroom. Like I will only rent or stay in a place where there's space if somebody needs a place to stay. Um, that there's the half, I have to have a spot that if somebody needs somewhere to stay, that they can stay there. And I love that. Just so you know, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you'll have a place to stay if you ever come down. Um, but yeah, that's just a high value of being able to, to, um, and I got that from, from our family dynamic. One funny, I can remember, uh, this is a couple years back Christmas, some students came from South Africa and uh, came for a conference in DC and they arrived two days earlier than we were expecting them. And the conference started two days after Christmas, they arrived Christmas Eve and um, I was a point person for our ministry. And so they, you know, the hotel calls and says, you know, we've got like 10 students here. Maybe it was seven students, I can't remember, um, that have arrived at the hotel early. And I'm like, no, you know, 
that doesn't make sense. And they're like, they're from South Africa. And so long story short, you know, they, they had gotten in country early at the hotel. They know no one, no one's at the hotel because the conference hasn't started yet. Mm-hmm. And it's not that far. It's about 40 minutes away from our home. And I say to my mom, mom, these kids have just come from South Africa. Like I know it's Christmas, but can we make space for <laughs> about seven more, I think it was either seven or 10 more students. And my mother was like, we'll make, you know, her classic line, we'll make it stretch. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, you know, everybody, was, I mean, they, I went to the hotel, picked them up, and we all had Christmas dinner together. We also talk about that, even the South African students. Um, mm-hmm. But that was such the norm, you know, and so that that was a that was a value that has stuck with all of us, actually, as I think about my siblings. Um, we all had that mm-hmm. value of keeping your home and what you have available to other people. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I, I think I can see hints of that in my own family, but it's like with food, <laughs> like the need, <laughs> the need for abundant food all the time. Like if you have people over, you like you have to have leftovers. And hmm. like I don't know how to like cook for other people where there isn't like tons and tons of food left over. Um, I think I got that from like my family and the way that they seafood and the need for like there always has to be more than enough mm. um and there's always like that fear that there's never gonna like, <laughs> no like we should make more and so yeah mm-hmm. I, can i can i ask a question to to you guys um so rose you talked about how like this idea of hospitality or actually like loving people it has like you saw that in your family and it's true of you today i'm wondering if uh, you see anything different or is there any way that you try to approach it differently from how you saw it done in your family, even though like maybe on the surface, it might look very much very similar. Um, but is there maybe a different approach that you're, you're thinking like, Oh, I, I'm trying to improve on this or I didn't see this done. Um, and so I want to, I want to do that better. Um, or is it very much emulated exactly the same? I think from the hospitality perspective, it is very much the same. Um, people, our home, and it really was a gift of my mom. Um, it really was the, you know, go-to house, whether it was kids in the neighborhood or people from the church that would travel and come in. And and so um, I don't think that I do anything differently than the way that we did it growing up. Um, yeah. You know, whatever we have gets shared. Um, the, if somebody's tra- if somebody's traveling, this is kind of one of those funny Jamaican moments um, that, you know, if you're traveling, I need to have a meal prepared for you when you come here. It doesn't matter what hour of the night you arrive. And uh. up until the day my mom passed, if I traveled to somebody's home uh, at in the, and I arrived, <laughs> it didn't matter what time I would arrive. When I would call her, she would always ask, did they have food for you? And I would have to go, mom, they're not Jamaican. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, wait, now wait, would you feel, would you feel offended if, uh, if they didn't have food for you, if you called someone up and stayed at their place? You know, I used to, I've gotten, and mm. I've gotten, um, used to Americans now, United Statesians at least, to know that that's not the norm. But after living in South Africa for a while, when I would come back, because that is normal in South African culture, and so when I would come back to the U.S., it would take me a minute. Like the first time I traveled to someone's house in the U.S., 
and they didn't have food. I was like, what kind of a, and then I remember <laughs> in the U.S. And I go, okay, right. They don't do that. Right. You dare have me over and not prepare a meal? Right. I've just traveled. <laughs> like, how can you not have food, a meal ready for me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Mm-hmm. So, Liam, do you do, in, are you thinking about like that, you know, how to use the hospitality question as well? Yeah, I definitely am different than my family, but it's one of those things that's hard to like pinpoint and say, oh, this is how I've adapted it to my own personality. I probably don't do it as well. <laughs> so I, you feel like it was better growing up in your family? I think um, it was just, I don't know if it was, it was better, like maybe it was more um, like frequent, but I guess right now I haven't had anybody over for a while. Um, but I remember like the last person who I saw, um, I did, who was like visiting I gave them something. I can't remember what it is, though. But I remember being like, oh, I got this for you. And like, take this like um, on your like your drive back home. And I, I cannot remember what it was. Um, yeah. Anyways, but it was like, here's some food, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, that idea of like, even if somebody is like stopping by, it's like, he- here's something for you to take on your travels. Um <laughs> And so I definitely think that's like a part of my culture. And I also like I lived in the Arab world. And so I think there's like some of that that I learned mm. there as well, where you I definitely saw the beauty of the hospitality culture um, and the like over like the abundance as well. Like like an Arab culture, like more is more like there's none of this less is more <laughs> kind of mentality. More is more, you know, more yeah. gold, more, more food, more things. And um, I think that's definitely something like deeply ingrained in me is like, there's a mm. goodness to more. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Christians need to embrace that one a little bit more. But um, Rose, you didn't really get to share some of the negative things that you have seen yeah. impact you and your family. I, you know, the thing that, well, you know, actually my family was perfect, so we didn't have any. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. High five, Rose, me and you. <laughs> um, They're not going to listen to this. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, okay, um, you know, the um, image management. So we have uh, one of our family members has a mental illness, has battled with a mental illness. And, you know, there's a whole stigma with mental illness. And um, so because of that, we learned to manage our image well. Uh, we're, I came from a, um, a Christian home. And so we, like to the outside world, we looked like the perfect family um and and it's interesting i mean everything from uh you know what you would wear clothing wise um even just going to the grocery store there would be this you know now you can't wear that to the store um and so this need to manage your image and and then um you know certainly behavior in the family like even you know, this family member could be having a full-blown um, delusional episode, and yet we would wear the mask in public as though everything was normal, everything was fine. There would be no acknowledgement that, you know, someone's in the midst of a, a mental break. Um, 
And it took a lot of work and can I be real, a lot of therapy Mm -hmm. to work through image management because Mm -hmm. it was so ingrained that I can't let people see the flaw. Um, Mm -hmm. that I am always fine. I am always well, everything is good. And, um, and, you know, I would hear people kind of make comments here and there. um, And it didn't hit me like the fullness of what they were talking about until um, I hit depression Mm -hmm. and realized, um, okay, you've been trying to wear this mask that you've learned is how you're supposed to do life, but that's not, that is not a healthy way of doing life. And so Mm -hmm. that was probably a pretty big message that I had to, to relearn truth. Mm -hmm. And so kind of with that, it's a world of secrecy, right? And so you don't have the conversation, you don't tell anybody. So not only are you managing the image externally, but um, you're not even confiding in, people to Mm -hmm. say, Hey, this is what's going on. You carry it yourself. Um, And so having to unlearn that took a lot, a lot of work. And there are times when I still have to check myself Mm -hmm. to go, Rose, are you, you putting on that mask again, girl, you need to tear that up, (laughs) you know, and uh, walk in truth. That's such a good way that you put it like to unlearn before you can relearn. Like sometimes you've kind of gone down a road before you realize this is not a healthy or good path but to get on the right path you have to backtrack before you can get on the right path yeah it's true that that's a that's a big one even as you're talking like that it was a little different in my family but there's some similarities there of like the neat like in honor shame cultures which which my culture is it's like you want to bring honor to the family so you hide anything that's shameful and i was always taught like don't tell other people about our family (laughs) like like whatever happens in our family is like our family and like there was always secrecy and even like people being sick in our family like um other relatives and they wouldn't tell like us or Mm -hmm. I remember I had an uncle that I was like praying would um would like live and that he would like get healthy and stuff. And, and my parents didn't actually tell us that he had passed away already. Um, and just, yeah, like to find out later that he, like I've been praying for this uncle who is like actually dead uh, for quite some time um, mm. because like they didn't want to like hurt us. It was like a, a protective measure, right? Both like protecting the image, but also like, Oh, like, you're like younger, it's better not to think about the sad or the hard things. Um, But that is actually something that I now see is quite different in me where because as I learned to build deeper friendships with people um, and build Mm -hmm. trust with people, I saw how freeing it was to actually just like be honest and be myself. And even if it is disgusting sometimes <laughs> to let people into that and um and so I remember like you know in university my mom being like don't tell people about our family like I am <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but only the really close ones who love me you know and um and and I think that there are some people who I view now as family who are very close mm-hmm. who I can be very honest with but um that there's still like parts of me that distrusts some people you know it's like well you know they're not a part of the family i can't tell them you know those things Mm -hmm. or expose those things i can kind of see both of that tension in me Mm -hmm. 
And some of that I think is healthy. I mean, you can't put all of your business out there to anybody, right? Yeah. Not, I mean, even, you know, even Jesus was like, I know what's in man. I can't trust him with everything. <laughs> and so there is, there is wisdom in not exposing yourself fully. Um, but there's balance in that, in a healthy in a healthy perspective. And so, yeah, it's been a journey. Um, and I'm grateful, similarly grateful that I have friends in my life um, that I can be, you know, fully me and be real with and share stuff with. And, um, and they will call me out if I'm not. Yeah. Are there other negative things that you wanted to share with us? Like we want it all. More is more. <laughs> <laughs> more is more. More is more. Um, I'm trying to think. That's probably the, the bigger two. The secrecy, the image, the image. Oh, the workaholic. Lord have mercy. So there is a, um, <laughs> there, there's a, a joke of the stereotype of Jamaicans, of um, especially Jamaicans who have immigrated, that they always have at least four jobs. Um, and so there's a, we saw, especially with my mom, um, because my, <laughs> my mother would say she didn't trust anybody to watch her kids. So uh, my mother would work at night. My dad would work. My dad was a painter. Um, he worked during the day. Um, and my mom was a domestic worker at first and then finished, got her um, high school certificate and then became a nursing assistant. So she would work at night. And so we never saw mom rest. We, she would go to work in the evening. Uh, when we were sleeping, she would be working when she would come home right when we were about to leave for school. And then when we came home from school, she was in the kitchen cooking. And so the message that we got was you're working all the time. Mm -hmm. Like there isn't, you're not resting. You're always going. Um, and that is something that it is really all of us as siblings have all battled with that as much as we know that is unhealthy. Like we know that was a negative message. That's a unhealthy pattern, but that's been something that we've all mm -hmm. struggled to combat. Um, the, um, yeah, the, the workaholism. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. it, it's interesting. The, the emotional piece, um, we similarly, we weren't an emotional family um, close, but we, not that we weren't emotional, you know, you kind of had to be strong. When stuff happened, you get the be strong message. Um, don't cry. Um, and so that was another one that I, I am by nature. I think as a child, I was a much more emotional child, um, but learn that message. And so um, just, you know, I, I actually now have to stop and think, what am I feeling? Because mm -hmm. I still learned the message of not tapping into that, that I've, had to go, okay, when someone tells me, how do you feel about that? I would say, I can tell you what I think yeah. about it. Give me a minute to figure out how I feel. About yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> because it just became so yeah. ingrained to not tap into my feelings. So. Mm -hmm. I feel like all three of us are just like, yes, this is <laughs> true. <laughs> well, it's so, it's so um, foreign um it uh like the the picture that i have is like a teenager with gangly limbs and you're out of control like you're like tripping over your feet your feet are too big you got two left feet you're like your hands are too big like your t-shirt doesn't fit properly and you're like 
what do you mean I'm supposed to get in touch with my emotion? And you got like this printout of an emotions wheel and you're like, I don't know, like bad. It's like, what kind of bad though? I do have uh. a printout of an emotion wheel. It's it's funny because yeah, like people ask, how, how do you feel? I ask that question all the time. Yeah. Um, to people, but I actually need to see the words in front of me to be able to connect. Like, what is yeah. this emotion? I'm like, sometimes I, yeah. I know I'm feeling something, but mm. I, I have no idea yeah. what the word actually is. <laughs> um, and my mind is yeah. like, yeah, it's easier to think and to tell people, oh, I'm thinking this and this and this, even if it is like five opposite thoughts at the same time <laughs> versus the emotion. Yeah. I'm like, um, I need, I need a second and I need to like see some definitions of feelings yeah. and some words in front of me. Yeah. And in, in Egyptian culture, there's a word, um, it's malesh and it's like, it's like, it doesn't matter. And yes. often, um, it's supposed to be a word of like soothing. Like, let's say you're going through something difficult and they're like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like be sued. Like this is not that important. It's okay. Um, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I notice like I say that to myself now yeah. because that's like so much what my like mom would say to like comfort me as a kid when I was like being emotional, but it also felt like, yeah, there was a permission to be sad or angry about things as well. And so when I'm like sad or angry about things, those, those are two words I know, sad yeah. and angry <laughs> categories. Um, I, I often will say it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like it's okay. It doesn't matter um, to try and like let go of those feelings. But now I kind of have come to like hate that word, even though I still do it to myself, like whenever my mom says malish, I'm like, no, it does matter. <laughs> like, let yeah. me just get angry for a little bit. <laughs> um, but I, I still do it to myself. It's still like a battle to, to, to allow myself um, to enter into those emotions. Mm -hmm. Can I, can I ask you guys a question? Um, so uh, I mentioned that program that I did um, a while back that helped me think a lot uh, about this kind of stuff. One of the things that I heard that stuck with me um, is the, the idea that we try to put into the world what we felt like we were missing when we were growing up. And so, I don't know, Rose, when you were sharing, um, it made me think about this. You can let me know if this is a, this you would agree with this picture or not. When you were sharing, the picture of Martha um, came into my mind, Mary and Martha, because Martha is like this workaholic. I mean, that's a picture that you get of her in, in the interaction. Um, but why is she working? She's working so that others can have rest, so that Jesus and the company can actually enjoy their meal, enjoy their food. And you were talking about earlier about how you love providing a meal for people, having a home where you can serve people so that when they come to you, it would be a place of rest and restoration, know that they are loved. Um, but like in the meantime, you're like, your demon is like battling that workaholism. Yeah, I don't know. Do you guys see that to be true in some ways? That sounds so much more noble when you say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, go, Mark. It's all about framing and marketing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think in some ways, I, I, I think that there are other ways where if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, um, it can be an identity. Mm -hmm. So work-wise, so in so being busy at home so others can rest could be. Um, sometimes it's my own, like I have to 
there are times where I literally have to tell myself, Rose, it's okay if the floor is not vacuumed right now. Like you are exhausted. It is okay. Oh, oh man, I I preach that to myself too. <laughs> it sounds like the, it sounds kind of like a stupid thing to be like. Where you're like, whatever, man. Like dishes aren't done. It's okay. You can go to bed. God loves you. Right, right. It's okay. I've it's never okay. had this conversation with myself. <laughs> you're fine. That's why you're hosting the podcast, and we're like on there because we're the ones with the issues. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but I think I think in some ways yes I think though I do think there are other times where the where your identity can be caught up in that your self-worth can be caught up in that and so it is it can be wanting others to rest but the flip side of that coin is is my worth tied to that is Mm. my value tied Mm. to that um, do I give myself the freedom? Am I worthy of that same rest that I want other people to have? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think the the balance in that is, you know, the, some of the workaholism. It's one thing if it's in wanting, if it's in a hospitality mode, but if it's a, I'm doing, you know, 50 different things for ministry and church and this and that, and it's not, it's not necessarily about other people, which is hard when you're actually having to have that conversation with yourself to go, is it really about other people? Or is it really, is it even really about God in this moment? Mm -hmm. Or is it really about me and my worth? And am I thinking that I'm more valuable when I'm busy that, um, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of combating that thought process. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sam, how how do you see it in yourself? Um, well, there are probably m- many more ways that I um, that it, it plays out in my life, but one way that I can think of it, I mentioned this idea of um, how there were times growing up when I would go through heartache or emotionally hard situations and I felt like it wasn't really addressed um and I can see in some in some way how now I try to actually be that for other people in some sort of like be maybe I realize maybe there's a part of me that realizes the hurt that it is to be um left alone and so my kind of old self is trying to approach that situation by saying you've got a problem let me come and fix it let me be the savior of the situation let me come up with the solution i will work hard i will i will um yeah i will power us through this and sometimes that works but other times people are like i don't need to be rescued or you can't be the rescuer like you you like i'm not strong like i want to be um and and so i think but I, I, I can see in some ways how this idea of bringing what I lacked growing up into the world now um, can be present. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting because when it comes to emotions, I'm definitely more comfortable with other people's emotions than my own. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can cry. Yeah, you talk. <laughs> you can talk, you can feel, let it out. You be angry, you be sad and give people like permission to do yeah. that. But I don't often, yeah, give myself that permission. So maybe similarly, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I, I experienced that with um, my mom passing. That's the first time that I had someone that close to me pass. Mm-hmm. And that was where I learned you cannot control grief. <laughs> you oh, cannot. Yeah. I just was not prepared for that because emotion wise, like, you know, I'm, I manage the image, right? And so mm-hmm. to, I can remember going into a meeting um, probably two months, yeah, about two months after she had passed. And it was just a day that I could not pull it together. And I'm hearing myself going, Rose, pull it together. You're going to this meeting. Like, stop. And I couldn't. I couldn't stop the tears. And it was a team meeting. And I just went <laughs> to the team and I was like, you know what? This is part of the package today. I cannot pull it together. <laughs> I don't know what my problem is. And yeah. a team member actually said to me, it's actually nice to see because we all can cry in front of you, but we've never in the years that we've worked with wow. you seen you cry in front of us. Mm. And it was very sobering that I realized, mm. wow, you know, and it is that, right? I can care for other people. People have the freedom to, um, yeah. to, you know, to be honest and grieve or have a bad day or whatever. Um, but I had not, I had yeah. not extended them the same courtesy of having the gift of being able to see the fullness of me, which yeah. goes back to the image management thing, right? Yeah. yeah. It sounds like, oh, go ahead, Sam. I was gonna say, it's funny how in this, in that moment, Rose, your moment of weakness was actually freeing for other people to see you as like a whole person. Um, they're like, wow, well, like this is the Rose we wanna love. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It sounds like we, in this like particular stage in our lives that we've kind of come to this place um, where we can embrace the beauty of our families and the goodness that they have given us and like celebrate, like there's really great things that they have passed on to Mm -hmm. us and our culture has given us like really great things. And yet there are also these things that have um, shaped us in poor ways (laughs) that we're still processing and working through and ways Mm -hmm. that God has like done his work. How do we hold onto the tension of those things and yet like both honor our family, but then mature into the people that God also wants us to be that, that holds on to the beauty, but then let, let like does the hard work of working through the hard stuff as well. Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. I think that piece of doing the work, you know, the, I wonder, as I listen to Sam, like your story of, going through this program was kind of this moment of, whoa, okay, there are things that aren't working for me here. Um, and, you know, for me, it was hitting a, a place of depression and, and realizing, all right, so this isn't working. Like we need to figure something out. I think, I think we come to a place where the, hopefully we come to a place where we are confronted with the negative that isn't working, hmm. that's not healthy. And then you, have, then you make a choice, right? And so being able to find the balance of just like we recognize in every person there's good and bad because we bear the image of God. Well, when a group of image bearers come together in a family, there's still good that's reflective of who God is communally. Um, but because of sin, there's junk. Being able to see the good and, and yet, being able to say, but there's stuff that's not working for me. And it doesn't mean that my family doesn't love me. It doesn't mean that they didn't do the best 
that they could in the moment that we were doing the best that we could with what we had. But but I'm realizing that this isn't working anymore. This isn't healthy for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same way that I think when I think about the fact that I want people to love both the good and bad, to, to love mm-hmm. me for me, recognizing that I am not perfect, mm-hmm. that I can do that with my family, that my family yeah. in that same way, I can love my family, recognizing the good and the bad, that they're not perfect. Um, but I'm not carrying, I need to let go of some of the foolishness, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. because it's not, it's not healthy for me. Um, yeah, I, I, I think like, like that was, that was a really good point you made Rose about how, um, it, it really takes time. Like doing the work is not an immediate thing. And often you have to get to a place where you see the, how the current way that things are can't go forward. Like you hit a wall, you hit a relational conflict, you hit depression, you hit something and your whole body is just like, I don't want to do this. I want to just power through it. But you're just like, like you say, the grief is overwhelming. Like you're like, it's just hitting me and I can't do anything about it. And I think it hits us all in different times and it's different things that bring us to that point. And so I think sometimes it's about asking God to to lead us to a, to a time when we can actually grow in our understanding of that um the the word that i that lot that i i've come to appreciate is dignity and depravity like you talked about the good and the bad um i i think when you ask the question selena like how do you how do you balance both um it made me think of the different lenses um that we see ourselves uh through lenses give a shout out for uh, rose thompson hey. lenses institute <laughs> <laughs> but but like when you think about the way that we see ourselves or the perspective that we see ourselves in relationship to our family oftentimes we see ourselves as children of our parents or we are our parents child and some of us that's like a really good lens some of us that's a really bad lens um and that that's a reality but there are also many more ways that we can actually come to see ourselves through we can see ourselves as a sibling to our brothers and sisters in our family, we can see ourselves as a child of God. If if we are we have parents, if we have children of our own, we can see ourselves as parents. We see ourselves in relationship to our community, to our church, to the friends, our neighbors around us, and all of these things have both dignity and depravity. Like I can tell you, when I parent my three young children. Like I see my depravity very clearly. <laughs> I see my depravity really clearly. And so when I when I s- see myself in that lens, then I feel like it frees me up, it diversifies, it broadens my perspective of actually looking at my family and saying, hey, there was both good dignity and there was depravity in the way that it impacted me negatively. And so I think the more that we think of ourselves or train ourselves uh, or the, the, the more time that we take to consider how might our children, our friends, how might God or our parents look at us, the more we might be able to acknowledge that, you know what, there are some parts that are really great and some parts that are really, really hard. I think it's interesting because, you know, being somebody who, um, I think when growing up, it was easier for me to maybe, I, I hit a point where all I could see was bad, I guess. 
um, mm-hmm. and couldn't couldn't really see the beauty or or the goodness um, that was there. And I'm not sure why, because there was lots of beauty and goodness that now I can see. Um, but I think like I I hit this point, and and even in my culture, like both family and culture. And there was something in me that was like, okay, I'm just going to reject it all. I'm just going to reject like my culture or attempt to, I realized that there's actually no way to do that. hundred percent. You know, Mm -hmm. like I'm I'm like, I'm not a hundred percent like quote unquote Canadian, whatever that even means, you know? Um, And it just is so ingrained. Um, And and I see a danger sometimes in, in students as well, that as they're like, kind of, I feel like in university age too, you're kind of like figuring out who you are, mm. that there is this huge temptation to be like, oh, I see some of these negative things in my culture, these negative things in my upbringing. So I'm just going to like cut yeah. myself off from family, from yeah. um, from my culture, from all these things and like, you know, turn to, to what is like good and true without acknowledging that there is actually like dignity in our family sometimes, or there is dignity in our um, cultures uh, that we can look into as well. Um, So I guess this question is like, how do we um, seek to, to honor that goodness um, in culture and in family, but then also um, like, I, I think a part of the tension is like recognizing that God is creating something new. That in each mm-hmm. of us, God is creating this like new person, right? Like we're moving from the old yeah. person to this new person. And how do I embrace that new person that might rub against my family without rejecting my family entirely hmm. or feeling rejected by my family entirely? I think one thing that you said, Selena, and, you know, you had mentioned like as much as I want to... um reject my family or my culture i can't like i feel i really can't 100 percent because it's Mm -hmm. in there like it's part of you and i think that's part of the the reality that we have to um come to grips with is that there is a part of i mean just dna wise right it's in us and so navigating that okay i can be my own person but i i do have i can try to pretend like there isn't an effect that there isn't an influence um there isn't residual in me that comes from my family of origin but that's not Mm -hmm. true (laughs) like that's not reality yeah (laughs) so, so um i think being able to say okay i can choose what aspects I'm going to um, allow to govern my actions and my thinking, what what aspects I'm going to allow to influence. But I need to recognize that there is going to be influence because that's just part of how it works. Um, Whether Mm -hmm. I'm adopted into a family or whether I'm born into it, like my family, they're going to affect me. That's part of the influence. Um, And... I think it, it's a journey of exploring and learning who you are, who you were designed to be. Um, you know, it, the, the movie Run, Runaway Bride, it's an old movie. But one of the things that I love about this movie is 
um, you know, Richard Gere. As he's that's how old it is. <laughs> that's how old he is, right? Right. Um, <laughs> really old. But um, he keeps asking the different men that this bride is about to marry, Julia Roberts is going to marry. He keeps asking them, how does she like her eggs? And each of them tells him a different way. Mm-hmm. And she realizes, I don't even know how I like my eggs. And because she keeps adjusting to other people. And so she finally goes away and takes time. And there's a scene where she's got all these different types of eggs until she figures out which one she really likes. Mm. Like the process Mm. of taking the time to figure out, okay, this is who I am. My family's influence is going to, is going to have an effect on me. And, Mm -hmm. And this is a part of me that's blossoming out of that, but it takes time to identify that. That's, I think that's part of the, the journey of university mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. learning that this is who I am um, and accepting the influence that is there from your family and being able to emerge in but with that influence, this is who I am. And it takes some time. Honestly, it takes a little bit of distance of being able to navigate that um, to come into the fullness of who you are. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. be able to say, okay, now I, now that I know who I am, I, I and I and I gain the strength to walk in who I fully am, to be able to, um, to be able to interact with my family based on who I am, which is a mix of the influence that they've had and who I realize I am outside of them. Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but it does make sense. Yeah. But it's a process. It really is. It's funny because I studied psychology and uh, I would, on a piece of paper, never ever say that your family's origin or your upbringing, your past has no influence on you. Like I would never say that that's true. And there's always something hidden or underneath that's like, maybe you don't remember, but it's shaped you in an unconscious way. But I didn't think that of myself. I was like, that's true of every single other person. But I am a blank piece of paper. I am my own captain. I shape who I want to be. And um, maybe that's you. Maybe you're listening and maybe that's you. Um, I was a fool and I won't call you a fool. You'll come to realize that yourself one day. (laughs) (laughs) But but it really is true, Rose. Like like you were saying, like it's impossible that we're not impacted. Um, one, because science says otherwise, but two, because more importantly, God, that's how actually God intended it to be. God actually gave us our families in a particular way so that we would be shaped. Um, and we ta- we've been talking so much about dignity and depravity. I think we have to look at dignity and depravity in terms through a lens of compassion. And this goes even bigger than beyond uh, beyond family. Like, I mean, think about think about how wild the social media and the news and the left versus right is right now all over the world. But what you really have is like a dehumanization of people. You have like you on the other side are boiled down to this one thing. Your view on this issue. You are this one thing, and therefore I hate you. I got to cut you out. 
And I think that if we apply that same strategy to to the way that we view our family, we look at how they've negatively impacted us, and we're like, "This is the depravity. This is the way you don't accept me." And so I gotta cut you out. But what we're missing is actually, man, as as the same way as God is looking at me and seeing some really beautiful things, some really flawed and depraved things. How can I not have the same compassion for my family and be like, they're full people too. Like, yes, they might have hurt me in some ways, but are there beautiful ways too that they've impacted me? And perhaps there isn't. Perhaps they've actually been really abusive. Maybe they are actually not not a, maybe it hasn't been a healthy family relationship. Maybe compassion in that situation looks like asking the question, I wonder what did they experience that actually has led them to live in such a way? How are they actually crying out for love uh, or seeking out love uh, by by saying or doing the things that they're doing or saying? Um, and I think when we when we come from a lens of compassion, um, it, I think it breaks our heart much more than simply like a, simply just saying like, all right, I'll take the good and I'll cut off the bad and and that's that. Um, it's not that simple. I think God is trying to grow in us like a, a heart uh, for ourselves and for um, our families. Um, I mean, one day my kids might say to me like, you know what, I hated these things about the way that you parented. And I would be so heartbroken if they turned to me and said like, like be gone with you. I don't want anything to do with you. Um, what I would want them to say is to be like, dad, you know what, you did this imperfectly. Um, and I see the way that Jesus loves you, despite all of that. Um, like that, that would—that's a hundred percent what I would want. Um, and so I imagine that that's what the people, including our family, who've who've maybe hurt us or uh, rejected us, are are actually yearning for underneath. Yeah, that's really great. There may be even some cases, though, too, where there might need to be a cutting off of from a family member from a couple of family members, um, but to still mm-hmm. do it with compassion, like recognizing like this person is a broken, sinful human being who has done evil. And if they continue to be in my life, they will continue to do evil. And so mm-hmm. I, I might need to um, mm-hmm. separate myself from them, um, but then grow in learning how to love and forgive them at a distance uh, mm-hmm. versus like keeping yourself in that that circumstance or situation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but but I think it it does come to a place of sometimes even acknowledging, like you said, like the brokenness maybe they have gone through or um, like when I think of my parents, mm-hmm. I think of parents who, who tried to love me, but just didn't always know how, <laughs> you know? It's mm-hmm. like, yeah. I think that was a part of it or like they had so much going on and things like that. But to acknowledge like, I think coming to a place of acknowledging that um, they messed up sometimes. Um, they made mistakes and yeah. it definitely has impacted me in negative ways when they, at times when they messed up. Um, it, but it's like, I can hold on to that without rejecting the fact that they actually did, did try to love me at the same time. And it's like, holding the whole person maybe like you're saying Sam mm-hmm. I think it's really difficult to do that as we can see in this you know mm-hmm. historical moment um, but it is actually yeah. hard to not narrow people down to just the the evil or to even 
maybe some people it's easier to just like erase that and only hold on to the good things like oh but they did like they bought mm-hmm. me ice cream or something that one time so they must love me <laughs> you know they only hold on to like yeah. the very best and not acknowledge the bad because i think that's also you don't want to be doing mm-hmm. that right like you prevent yourself from growing into the new person when you only see the positive like sam that sounded like a little bit of your story where for a while you only saw the positive and um but real growth they think comes when we can acknowledge both and the complicatedness of life and paradoxes of relationships and yeah. um call what is good and beautiful good and beautiful but call what is bad and evil bad and evil as well mm-hmm. and i think you see that so much in um how god handles us and as you were talking i thought And, you know, such a simple thing that that Jesus talks about, like doing to others as you would have them do to you. And so that reality of I I wouldn't want people to cut me off. Um, Not if I'm if I'm toxic, cut me off. (laughs) I need to be cut off. But if it's just exposure to, you know, um, something that is a blind spot where I'm unhealthy, but yeah, I wouldn't want someone to completely cut me off because of that one blind spot mm-hmm. where I'm unhealthy. And so mm-hmm. being able to, um, and I love that, the, the recognition of compassion and um, recognizing that people are the way they are because of their experiences and, and the journeys mm-hmm. that they've been through. Um, and that God sees all of that, right? And so even our, how our how we relate to him in that dynamic of um, he sees the fullness of us and still moves towards us and still loves us. He sees yeah. my junk. He sees my good. He sees it all um, and still moves towards us. And sometimes I think it can be hard when you've been in a, in a dynamic where you haven't experienced that in your family, if you haven't experienced that um, acceptance of the good and the bad, mm-hmm. to to believe that God could love you the good and the bad, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that it's hard to believe that. And so, but that that's another one of those reality things of, but he does, like he does, and there's evidence of how he does. Um, Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, being able to keep that tension in mind of um, I may not appreciate all that my family's done. Um, I may not agree with it. There have been some things that, that have been hurtful. Um, but I can't, I, I recognize that I've hurt God as well. And so um, as he continues to move towards me and um, not completely cut me off, that I can Mm -hmm. do that with my family, even the ones that are unhealthy. And I love the way you said it, Selena, like loving them from a distance. Like I still, Mm -hmm. I I don't wish death on you, right? Mm -hmm. I I Mm -hmm. still, um, I'm gonna be safe and I'm gonna be wise, um, but Mm -hmm. I still can have a heart that wants the best for you. Um, Mm -hmm. Which I, I really think comes as I realize what God's doing around me and in me. mm. Yeah. And I think it's only really possible to gradually learn to do this 
as we see God as a good father, because innately, children, as soon as they're born, your caregiver is your hero. Like that's all you know. Like if you're, if if like if if you have two moms, you think everyone has two moms. If you have a dad and a mom, you think everyone's got a dad and mom. If you do family Sunday traditions like this, you think everyone does it. And then you you realize that that's not the case. And there's like a coming like a my my picture of what is a hero is shattered, um, and it's meant to be shattered at some point. Um, and it's the heartbreak that when we realize that our hero or who we had hoped to be is not who uh, who they really are. And so I think we can really only learn to love the uh, I guess pseudo hero in our parents in our families when we actually get to know the real good God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. I am curious just how um, being impacted and relating to your families has impacted your relationship with God and how you relate to God as well. So I'm glad that you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, um, my, as I mentioned, I grew up in a Christian home and, um, my mom was a praying woman, um, and seeing her pray about everything and anything, um, seeing her go in the bathroom and close the door and cry out to the Lord, um, taught me to pray, taught me that I could tell him anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad's love for the word of God and, and reading the word gave me perspective from that pers- from that. Um, in my walk with him. And, and so funny, even in the positive and negative. So I think there was the, um, that, that grounding of being able to talk to God about anything and the value of, of reading his word and hearing from him. Um, and at the same time, because of this mental illness in the family and, um, seeing, um, this person change, this person who loves God, but they would have these moments of, okay, wait, suddenly they're a very different person than who I knew. Um, I realized there was a point at which I thought that of God as well, that he would change up, that he, because that's what I was seeing. And so having to work through, no, God doesn't change. So even me having this this foundational belief of um, being able to have intimate relationship with God through prayer and learning about him through his word, but then also having to work through that I was similar to the hero dynamic that Sam was talking about. I was having to work through this um, this dynamic of God. I'm I'm assigning to you this attribute of you changing. Like I need to expect at any moment you're going to change the game because that's what I've experienced in my family, and recognizing that that's not who He is. And so that being a journey also in my relationship with Him of being able to go. I that's an aspect of you that I'm taking from my family and putting on you. That's not who you are. Mm-hmm. And a sweet moment for me when I, it was a hard, but, but sweet moment of realizing that I was doing that and, and coming to, and having to go back and go, Nope, that's not who you really are. Mm-hmm. And so learning to have relationship with him based on who he really is. Yeah. As, as you were sharing, I was thinking about my own, um, relationship with my father and how my father actually he was he was very hardworking 
Um, but he was actually quite distant, like my mom, very mm-hmm. much so was the one who cared for our family um, and took care of us and was even like um, maybe more of the the one who taught us how to pray and, and things like that. And um, but but I think instead of attributing to that to God, I actually knew very early on that God was not like my earthly father and that he was um, more present. And um, I see I see that a lot in my life, like the desire for God's presence to be near. Mm-hmm. And I remember one intense actually counseling session. I too see a counselor and uh, have needed counseling because of family relationships. Um, but mm-hmm. that has actually helped me embrace the good and the beauty in my family as well. So recommended. So do I. Yeah, and like has helped me come to places of forgiveness as well, where I can like say mm. that I have forgiven my family. But I remember there was one session where I was talking about my relationship with my father and um, how um, my father is passed away. And so there's just like a lot of regret there and hurt there. Mm. And my counselor is Christian. And she just said, like at the very end of the session, remember God is your heavenly father. And I just like walked away and was like, God is my heavenly father. And it just brought so much comfort and peace to, to have that recognition. Like, yeah, I, I had a father who, who tried to love me and we were just so different. And now I can see like maybe the many ways that he tried that I didn't even interpret as love at the time. Um, But that, but God knows how to love me and God like no, like intentionally made me in a particular way to receive his love and that he has showered me with the abundance of his presence and love. And that has, um, that continues to be a comfort, I guess, in my life and something that I'm like, oh, like God has allowed me to relate to him as daughter um, mm-hmm. in life um, currently. And even when I was younger and had no idea what I was doing <laughs> in life. <laughs> yeah. Sam, what about you? Um, well, I mentioned that working hard and excellence was something um, I grew up with. And so I think for a long time, the way that I related to God was through service, was through working hard and through sacrifice. And I don't think that that's not the way to relate to God, but I don't think that that's the way that God values us. Um, and so to this day, the sweetest thing about God to me is that God is someone who loves despite my shortcomings, because no matter how hard I try, um, I, I, I can't do it all. <laughs> like, like maybe you can do it all when there's, when there's little to do, but over the years, there's just been so many ways that I've been confronted with my shortcomings and my inability and my physical or spiritual or emotional um, limitations. And to think that God actually looks at all of that and says, like, I love you no less on your worst day than than on your best day is is so freeing. And I think because I still had that um, hardworking kind of natural side ingrained in me, I'm, I've, I have had to wrestle and reconcile the two. And so now I'm, 
like on my best days, I'm experiencing freedom from defining myself uh, by what I do. And I feel God's love deeply. And yet I can pursue all that I'm doing with excellence. And then when it falls short, that it's okay. Yeah. And so those are my best days. Um, yeah. <laughs> in how I have come to relate to God. How do you now see family and its importance in your life? I think with my parents and my sister, uh, we don't live in the same city. And so the way that we keep in touch now is through WhatsApp and through FaceTime calls. And through that medium, it's actually quite hard to have meaningful, deep, robust conversations. And I think that's something that maybe I'm mourning a little bit. Um, the context makes it hard. But also, I think it's been so long that I sometimes I feel like I need to relearn how to have a meaningful um, conversation with my parents. Um, like, I, I think I'm at a place where I can acknowledge both the good and the um, negative ways that they've impacted me. Um, and now I'm, I'm just... I, I guess I'm still figuring out what does it look like now with, with my parents specifically. I know that with my uh, immediate family now, with my wife and my kids, um, I think I mentioned how emotion wasn't really dealt with. Um, hard emotion wasn't really dealt with. Work hard was, was, dealt, was emphasized growing up. Um, for me now... I relate to my kids by trying to be really emotionally present for them. And, and like caveat, I, I fail a lot of the time. Um, and I catch myself so ingrained, um, evaluating them based on performance. Um, why can't you listen? Why didn't you listen to me? And, and saying great job when they've done something academically with excellence. Um, but I, I, I want to grow. I think there's like an awareness of that in myself and wanting to engage with, my wife, my kids in a, in a, in a present way, um, not having to always fix the problem and fix the solution. Um, yeah, presence is actually more important. Um, so that's maybe the way that it's shaped how I want to relate to my family now. But if there's one thing that I could really leave with, with listeners, um, you know, I, I think we talk about dignity and depravity, but either is really regardless of what our family background is, it's either showing us a glimpse of God's presence and work, or it's giving us a reason to long for good, God's closeness. And so we either had a really great, really loving, really beautiful, supportive upbringing, and it was a lot of like being able to see God's goodness, or it was actually really hard, perhaps even abusive, and it left us feeling like sad and crushed and it made us want to long for God instead. And so I feel like we're, we're mostly on a spectrum. Um, and maybe for those of you who are on this, on the side where you feel like your family's given you a reason to long for God's closeness more than anything, I think I want you to hear that God actually mourns with you. Um, that God doesn't kind of play roulette and flip a card and, and just whatever, however they fall is however it falls. I think God actually mourns with you that 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 you're you're feeling crushed that that's your circumstance, but also I, I feel like God actually does um, design for you or desire for you to 
let your longing and your sadness and your feeling um, hopeless lead you to wanting closeness with him. And so I think if I have any lasting words uh, for listeners, it would be for you wherever you're at to actually think about how you can step into the rest of either brokenness or goodness with community. And I think that relates to family too. Sometimes we can think about and talk about family as like a very siloed or very insulated thing as if like, this is my nuclear family and we got four of us, five of us, and that's it, close the door, bam. But I think in God's family, like the doors are busted wide open. Like Rose, you talked about like welcoming people in. And I think that when that's the case, we're invited for those of us who have seen God's goodness to actually step into the brokenness of our community, into into the brokenness of our immediate family, of of our neighbor, of our family and friends at church um, and, and mourn with them. And then for those of us who are in a place of brokenness, I think God is also inviting us to step by grace, step into the healing, into the love of the community. And so I think this thing of like, how does our family impact us is not just how does our immediate family impact us? It's I think it's God has designed f- for it to lead us into experiencing his wholeness in and with the people around us, our immediate family, certainly, but also greater our greater church family. And so I would encourage you, whether you're feeling like your family was great and you have a lot to celebrate or your family was terrible and, and you're feeling crushed and you're mourning to actually share that with your community. I really appreciate that, Sam, as somebody who is a single woman whose uh, father has, you know, passed away. And uh, I have a brother who is married and kind of has his own like family. And then I have this mom who's a widow who, you know, sometimes I go and I visit her and she's like, like, this is it. <laughs> like My mom is kind of like, it's just me and you. And it makes her sad. Like, it doesn't just make mm. me sad. And um, you kind of see the need beyond just the immediate family if that makes sense like you look at the immediate like nuclear family and you're like this just isn't enough family um Mm -hmm. to actually see well god has given us beyond just like these people um for family that there is the people of god who um actually fill in those spaces as as brothers as sisters as as mothers as fathers Mm -hmm as well um and god himself yeah. too mm-hmm. i so agree with everything he said and everything i uh was thinking about to say he said even talking about the dynamics of how we started with you talking about being part of his family and um the fact that family is so much more than than biological um, or nucleus family and that those things that may that may have been painful or even as we look at the things that um we don't want to continue we want to end the legacy of that there are things that are redeemable and that we that as we're as we think about families i think about family now and i recognize yeah there were things there were people doing you know our parents were doing the best that they could with what they knew um and that i don't throw away the gifts with the, with the gaps, right? That I can throw away the gaps and, um, and learn from those gaps, but, but still acknowledge the gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there are, and there, there may be some listeners who 
can't think of a gift at all, <laughs> like other than their very life, that they can't think of a gift. Um, and just, you know, asking God to send the extended family um, into mm-hmm. their lives, that, that that's what becomes redeemable and that they get a, re- a renewed sense of what that looks like in terms of family. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that the, the thing that I would want students and the listeners, anyone listening to, to think about is it's all part of the making of who we are, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm a foodie. And so if I'm mm-hmm. baking and, um, you know, I would never eat flour by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't eat a raw egg by itself. Now, I'm not gonna lie, I might have a teaspoon of sugar. But, <laughs> um, but those things all coming together um, make a wonderful cake, you know, and so that it's part of even what may feel like a disgusting raw egg from my family in me with all the other things that God puts in produces a wonderful pastry and that um, I can I can trust that the rawness of that egg is not sitting there by itself but that God can use that and mix it with all the other stuff that he's going to put in me to produce this pastry that's wonderful so yeah, and, and, and again, to stress the reality of the journey, that it doesn't happen overnight. You know, as we all talked about our journeys, it's been a journey. Nothing happened. We didn't wake up one morning and go, okay, I've got it, <laughs> you know, but it's a process. And mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, just to trust that, that God is in the process with us. I love that image. Thank you so much for sharing it. Yeah, but thanks for, for leaving us with that thought and, um, and for both of you just being willing to share your stories and be vulnerable and share about your family experiences with us. And um, yeah, I really do hope that it would be something that would bless people and that they would be able to hear what has been shared and that they would be able to, to wrestle with the beauty, with the difficulties. And um, I guess ultimately um, experience the family that God desires them to experience as well. Thank you. Thanks, Selena. At the end of every episode, we like to give you, the listener, a couple of questions to pause and ponder with God. So let's do that now. Where do you see the dignity and beauty of your family and culture? Where do you see the depravity?
How do you want God to meet you in the broken places where your family has impacted you? How has your family impacted your view of God? What lies have you believed about God due to your upbringing? What is true about God? How might God be inviting you to experience Him and others as your family?
May God help you live in the fullness of who He has made you to be, embracing the beauty of your upbringing and experiencing healing in the depravity.